If you have a Bible with you, could I invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 12? Uh, There should be Bibles in the pews. Uh, Just as you look up Exodus chapter 12, let me ask you a question. What have been the pivotal moments in your story? The pivotal moments in your story. Every story has them, those major those decisive moments that change everything and that linger long in the memory. And in terms of the story of the Bible, the big story that we as a church have been working our way through during 2011, we come to one of those moments this morning. In fact, we come to two of those moments, although they are intimately and forever connected. Exodus 12 is a pivotal chapter. And everything tips at this point as a result of the two events that are recorded there, the Passover and the Exodus. And somebody has described these two events, and I love this phrase, as formational events because they reconfigure everything. They shape the story from here on in. And after 430 years of slavery in Egypt, it's all about to come to an end for the Israelites hundreds of thousands of them, maybe even millions of them, certainly hundreds of thousands of them are about to be liberated. They're about to be set free. And as a people group, they're also going to embark on this brand new journey. And Exodus 12 captures the drama and tells the story that will be referred to and retold time and time again in the years to come. Now, for those who weren't here last Sunday evening. Let me just set the scene and sort of recall the immediate past. Moses and his brother Aaron have been to see Pharaoh on at least a couple of occasions. And they've gone there to ask him or really to instruct him on God's behalf, as Glenna said earlier, to let the people go so that they could worship him. And Pharaoh refused to entertain their request. And what that led to was God unleashing the full force of his plagues against Pharaoh and against his officials and against his people. But the purpose, and this is so important to get, the purpose, the reason behind them, and this was something we considered in depth last Sunday night, was so that everyone who was associated with that part of the story, Moses, the Israelites, the Egyptians, and Pharaoh, that everybody would know who God is and how unique God is. And to quote Exodus 11, 13, and 14, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says, let my people go that they may worship me, or this time, and these are strong, hard words, I will send the full force of my plagues against you and against your officials and against your people so that you will know that there is no one like me in all the earth. And by the time we get to Exodus 12, nine plagues have been and gone. And the tenth one has been talked about, but it's still to hit. And as chapter 12 begins, God sets the date for this tenth and devastating plague. And as well as setting the date, he also gives Moses and Aaron detailed instructions to share with the whole Israelite community concerning how they are to prepare for it. Now, as far as the first nine plagues were concerned, they were just to sit back and watch. 
But when it came to this one, they were to get ready for it. And so each family or each household, and they could share depending on the size of their family or the number in their household, they were to take care of a one-year-old defect-free lamb for four days. And then at twilight on the fourth day, they were to kill it. And they were instructed to smear some of the blood around their door frames to then go back inside their houses and eat the rest of the animal. And they were to eat it that night along with bitter herbs and with bread made without yeast. And they were told to eat it dressed for a journey and they were told to eat it quickly. This was not a meal to savour. And how could they, given what was happening around them? Because on this night, God was going to pass through Egypt and was going to take out every firstborn, men and animals. But when he came to a home that had blood smeared round the doorframe, he would pass over. He would move on. He would spare life. And clearly this was going to be a night to remember. This was going to be a night unlike any other night. And just to be sure and to be clear on how pivotal and how crucial this night and this event was, God instructs them, you've got to mark this for years. Mark this for years to come. This must linger long in your memories. It was to be, in the words of verses 14 and 24 of chapter 12, it was to be a lasting ordinance. So that they would never forget their liberation, their deliverance, their rescue. And so that they could retell this story to their children and their children's children. Now God told them all this before anything actually happened. Nothing had happened as far as this tenth plague was concerned at this point. They were to remember something that hadn't occurred as yet. But given what they had just witnessed, nine out of the ten plagues, it would have been, it would have been pretty stupid to doubt God on this one. And so you read in verses uh, 27 and 28 that the people bowed down, they worshipped And then they did everything that they were told to do. And then it happened. This is just in quietness. But then it happened. And Moses summoned all the elders of Israel. Said to them, take a bunch of hyssop and dip it into the blood in the basin and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the door frame. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. And when the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and on the sides of the door frame and he will pass over that doorway and he will not permit the destroyer the angel of death to enter your homes and strike you down. And at midnight the Lord struck down all the 
the firstborn. From the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon. And the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night. And there was loud wailing in Egypt. For there was not a house without someone dead. And it's hard to imagine what that must have been like. The Egyptians had experienced nine plagues to date. But surely nothing could have prepared them. The Israelites were prepared. But nothing could have prepared them for that carnage. And it's no wonder that before the night is out, the text says that Pharaoh sent for Moses and Aaron. And he said, just go. I've had enough. Take your people. Go and worship your God. And interestingly, Pharaoh also asks the two brothers to bless him. Although we don't actually know whether they did or not. Scripture doesn't tell us. And so that night, 600,000 Israelite men and women and kids and others, although we don't exactly know who those others were, and livestock, they walked away from slavery and oppression. The dark days are over. A new future awaits. They are rescued. They are liberated by a God who went to extreme lengths in order to save a people to himself so that they could go, so that they could worship their God in freedom. And tonight, we will pick up the story from there and find out how they get on in the initial days of their freedom as they walked out of Egypt. But Exodus 12 is a pivotal chapter. Because what it does is it records the remarkable salvation event of the Old Testament. And for that reason, it was to become, says God, embedded in your memory. Do not forget this. Forgetting wasn't an option. It was possible, of course it was, because as we all know, memory tends to fade with the passing of time. But to forget Passover... And to forget the exodus would have been wrong on so many levels. And therefore the need to revisit and relive these formational events was established early on amongst the people of God. And it became an annual event. It became an annual festival where people remembered and people talked about how their God, their God had acted decisively in history, had liberated his people, had led them to freedom. And every people, every year people would pause and they would recall the day when the angel of death passed by their homes and as a result God brought them out of slavery and as someone has written the Passover involves the ritualized proclamation and passing on of the past core stories and traditions to a new set of eyes a new set of ears a new set of mouths whether a new generation of children as in Exodus 12:26, or the alien or the stranger who's in your midst as instructed by Exodus 12:48. And Exodus 12 tells us, the church, core stories. Core stories. And throughout the rest of the Old Testament, you find that the Israelites engaged in this annual festival. 
And even as you come into the New Testament, you discover they're still doing it, that every year around springtime, all the people of Israel would make their way to Jerusalem for the feast of Passover. And early on in the Gospels, you discover that this was part and parcel of Jesus' life. That every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. So many of the Exodus 12 Passover elements and themes carry over into our story. And today, Passover remains a central festival for the Jewish people. But for us as Christians, for us sitting here this morning, we cannot, we cannot read Exodus 12 and not make connections to this. Especially at a worship service where the table is prepared and where we are invited to eat and drink together. In Matthew 26, Mark 14 and 22, it tells us that as Jesus and his disciples reclined at a table in an upstairs room, recalling Exodus 12, that Jesus actually instituted, he introduced this. As part of that, when he said, take it, this is my body. Eat it in remembrance of me. And he took the cup of wine, saying to them, as part of that, as he instituted and introduced this, he said, take this. This is my blood. The blood of the new covenant. And Jesus was about to die. And he knew that. And he knew what lay ahead in the next 24 hours, that he would be nailed to an executioner's cross. But he also knew that in what lay ahead, in his death and resurrection, that God's new, remarkable salvation event was taking place. And what Jesus was saying is, listen, this is happening. And like the Israelites in Exodus 12 and subsequently, do not forget. Do not forget. Let this linger long in your memory. And as we meet here this morning, we find that the images and the events of Exodus 12 actually spill over and they inform us and they help us or they should help us in our appreciation of what we are about to do. And just as we approach this table, I want to just refer to four images, four things that were central to Passover and actually are central to what we are about to do here in a few minutes. Central to Exodus 12 was a defect-free lamb. It was to be killed, it was to be sacrificed, and for our salvation, the lamb that dies is Jesus. And so whenever John the Baptist was standing before a group of people, and he noticed out of the corner of his eyes Jesus approaching, and he pointed to Jesus and he said to the crowd, Look, here comes the lamb of God. And Paul, more explicitly, as he wrote to the Corinthian Christians, he said, For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. And Jesus was completely defect-free. Yes, he was tempted in every way, yet without sin. Lots of people tried 
to plant something on him, uncover something wrong with him, uncover something that he had done that he hadn't done. But they couldn't. And so in the end, they had to trump up these bunch of false charges against him so that his death sentence would actually stick. And it did stick. And so central to the Israelites' remarkable salvation event is a defect-free lamb. Central to our salvation is Jesus Christ, the defect-free Passover lamb of God. And the second image that spills over and connects Passover, Exodus 12, to this is blood that protects. God made it clear that it was the presence of blood on those door frames that would guarantee their protection. That the blood signified that a death had already occurred, the death of a sacrificial lamb. And therefore, as a result of shed blood, they were spared the impending and the harrowing And I know this isn't popular teaching. The impending and the harrowing judgment of God. They were spared from that because of blood around a doorpost. And the parallels are obvious. And I know the connections scream loudly to many of us. But it is worth reminding ourselves that it is the blood of Jesus that protects. It is the blood of Jesus that guarantees our life For when Jesus, our sacrificial lamb, died, his blood was, in his own words, poured out for many. It was poured out for you and for me. It's through his blood we're brought near to God. It's because of his blood we can find redemption. It is the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all sin. Blood on the doorposts led to protection and life for the Israelites. Blood on the cross leads to our salvation and our new life. And therefore, when we drink this, let us rejoice at its life-giving ability. And the third thing, and maybe this is not as obvious, is the importance of faith in all of this. Do you know the Israelites were told what to do? They were told what to do in order to be rescued, but they still had to step out in faith. They still had to accept that what God had said was going to happen. They actually had to believe that this was going to take place. And in Exodus 12, 27, as we've referred to already, it says, whenever they heard what God had said, they bowed down, they worshipped, and they did it. And that remains our challenge and our opportunity. God has told every single one of us Every single person sitting in this church. He's told us what we need to do through his word in order to be rescued, in order to find life. And therefore, there are many here who have, in response to that, taken a step of faith. Whereas I know there's some here who would say, I've never done that. And we invite you to do that this morning. And we invite you to eat and drink this morning for maybe the very first time. In God's remarkable salvation event of Exodus 12, the people needed faith to embrace that salvation. This morning, we need faith to embrace this. And finally, the theme that comes out is the idea of deliverance and liberation. 
Because of what God had done, Moses was able to lead the people out to freedom and towards the land of promise. And again, the Bible teaches, and this isn't popular teaching, that we are sinners, that we are slaves to sin. That's just who we are. That's how we are born into this world. And that's why there's so much pain and suffering in our world, so much dysfunction, disillusionment, and selfishness in human life and relationships. But what this table points to is the new exodus that's led by Jesus, whereby he delivers us from slavery to sin, from false allegiances and idols, from the corrupting and destructive powers of this world, from evil desires that draw us away from God's love. Because of the cross... We are no longer held captive to sin. We are set free to live life in all its fullness. It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. And therefore at this table, what we are about to do in a moment is celebrate liberation. Sin no longer is our master. It doesn't have to be the oppressive presence in our lives. Because if Jesus has set you free, then you are free indeed. Central to Exodus 12 and the ongoing Passover meal was this idea of deliverance and liberation. Central to this is a similar idea. And I hope this morning that as we come to this table, you can see this sort of rich matrix that binds Exodus 12 and the Passover with what we are about to do here and what we do here at Windsor every single week. This is a pivotal moment. And for the Israelites, the observance of this on an annual basis meant that the past became present. That what happened in Exodus 12 was symbolically relived every year as they recalled and remembered what God had done for them. And each week at this table, in the Lord's Supper, the past becomes present. As we recall and retell and relive what Jesus has done for us in what was the most pivotal moment in history. And so we invite you now, right now, to join us in remembering Jesus, in celebrating freedom, and in offering thanks to God for your hope-filled future. Let us eat and drink together.